Uh, for those of you that I have yet to meet, my name is Prentice. I get the privilege to be the lead pastor here at Bethany West Seattle. And we're so glad that you're here, whether you're in person or watching online or, or even you're traveling. It's a three-day weekend, and maybe you'll be, you'll be watching this sometime uh, this week. We pray for safe travels, and uh, we're just so glad that uh, one way or another you're joining us this morning. Uh, we continue, and really we conclude a sermon series that we have called Examine, and it's based off of St. Ignatius's prayer called the Daily Examine, uh, and we went over that last week, and there's two aspects that I think uh, is really, really important, pivotal to this prayer that we want to talk about the last week and, and this week, and the first thing was the Holy Spirit, that this uh, year, particularly as a church, we want to uh, seek and pursue and understand what it means to live in the Spirit. So uh, last week we talked about the Holy Spirit, what that is, how that impacts our lives. Uh, and secondly, not only Holy Spirit, but, but actually praying. What does it look like to live a life of prayer? And, and that's kind of what we want to unpack this morning. And so... Uh, our passage today comes from Matthew chapter 6. We'll be a little bit all over, uh, but this morning we'll be in chapter 6 of Matthew, uh, verse 9, and through, let's see, let's say 13. And here's what the word of the Lord says. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. If you've been around the church for a while, that may sound familiar to you. Let's pray and let's get started. God, thank you that you have brought us here this morning to be together as a community, to worship you, to hear from you, not from Prentice, but from you and from each other. And so, God, may you speak to us. May you convict us. May you bring upon healing to us. May you reveal to us the things that need to be revealed. May your spirit just overwhelm this place. In your name we pray, amen and amen. Uh, this morning, we, well, really, this whole weekend, we acknowledge that, before we even start, that it is... Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, and so my hope is that throughout the next few days, really, our lives and in, in this year, but particularly in the next few days, that it gives us an opportunity to reflect, to learn, to think about the work of Dr. King and, and the fact that because of his work and many other civil rights leaders, that we're able to even do this this morning. And so may we uh, learn and seek with gratitude and curiosity. Um, last summer, again, I, I talk about this a lot because this trip was so powerful and life-changing for me that on my sabbatical, uh, I took a, a civil rights pilgrimage to the South. And, and the way I planned that was just to really follow in the footsteps of, of Dr. King. And so I started off in his birthplace in, in Georgia, uh, and went to some museums and learning centers. I went to, Alab to, to Alabama, Montgomery, Selma, Tuskegee, 
all the way up to um, Birmingham and Memphis, uh, where he ended up being assassinated. And it was just a powerful trip. Uh, and, and to that end, Taylor and, and myself and a few others were hoping to do a pilgrimage uh, for our community as well. We'll start off with a local pilgrimage, talk about some civil rights and, and really some areas of redlining and discrimination that uh, happened in our own city of Seattle. Uh, and then perhaps we'll do also a pilgrimage similar to what I did. So anyways, that's kind of off topic, uh, but that's the weekend that we're in. And it gives, an gives us an opportunity just to reflect on how far we've come and how far we need to go. And so we, we reflect on Dr. King uh, and his work. We, we reflect with gratitude and honor uh, and an, uh, an urgency to continue on his legacy. And so that is my hope and prayer for us uh, this weekend that we'll be thinking about that. So back to prayer. Uh, when I think about prayer, I think about my childhood with my family, particularly my grandmother. And, and I talk about her a lot because she was a big part uh, of our family, of our lives, and just like many other cultures uh, in the Korean culture, it's very common for the grandmother to move in and live with uh, the family to help raise the children, and that was no different uh, in my own family. Uh, I have a younger sister, and when she was born, oh, I'm sorry, this wasn't on the, they were probably trying to warn me, and I was wondering, like, what is that noise? Thank you. I, I'm like, what are you guys talking about back there, D doing some miming? Uh, okay, we're back on. Uh, I hope you just heard everything that I just said. Okay, uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure you did. It's not that big of a room. So, uh, it was no different in my family. When my grandmother moved in when I was young, maybe I was five years old, my sister was just born, and my grandmother moved from Korea to help raise uh, our family. Now, we weren't very well off. Uh, we, were, we lived a very humble life. There was only a couple rooms, and so my parents had one room, and in the other room, in one bed, as a little kid, it was myself, my sister, and my grandmother, and we did that for years. Uh, I learned, and now that I'm going to be a parent soon, I'm learning all these things about sleeping routines and how it should be. Uh, some of the people that are teaching on, on how to raise children would freak out by the way my parents raised us, okay? And so, yes, we, we slept with my grandmother for years uh, and my sister, and she took care of us. But the things that I remember about, you know, when I was a toddler and on was two things about my grandmother. Number one, it was a weird phenomenon for her to see somebody in a big old truck come in the morning at 6 a.m. to pick up our garbage, our, our trash. That was a weird concept for her. So what she would do every single week was she would brew up some hot coffee and she would just wait. Now, I remember looking out the window, she's next to our garbage can with hot coffee, just waiting for the garbage truck to come. And every time the person came, she would give coffee to him because the whole idea was just strange for her. Uh, the little things that we take for granted. So I'll never forget that. Second, I'll never forget the fact that every morning, again, we shared the same room. At five in the morning, she would wake up and she would pray. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with a very Korean style of praying, but uh, if I had to describe it, I would describe it this way. It's loud. 
it's very, very loud. And she would wake up, and she would go on the floor, and she would just pray in Korean, just really loud. And this is 5 in the morning, and, and I kid you not, she would do this for about a half hour every single morning. And, and now, as a memory, growing up, I, I thought how, number one, how annoyed I was. Here I am. I'm five years old. Grandmother, what are you doing? I'm trying to get my beauty sleep here. Why are you waking up at five and, and praying every single day? So not only was I annoyed, but I was also in this wonder. Like, why are you doing this? And, and, and even as a kid, even growing up, I always wondered, like, why are you just screaming out loud? Why are you praying to God as if, is that going to do something? Is that going to change something? And, and I wonder at that question for all of us, have you ever asked yourself what the significance of prayer is? Even as a pastor, sometimes I have to ask myself, what in the world is prayer about? Why do I pray? And, and many of us, we bring in different experiences with prayer, uh, whether it's really good, like God has really heard me and God has fulfilled my prayers, God has answered me, all the way to, is God even real? Does God even listen? It, it, does God even answer prayers? Uh, or maybe we live in a space in between those two contrasts. Many of us, we bring in a, a unique relationship as it pertains to prayer. Because maybe you've prayed for a loved one, or for yourself, or for a health crisis, or for a certain outcome, and that change, or that outcome never happened. And so when it comes to prayer, we're left with anger and frustration, and really confusion of all the things we've heard and read about what prayer is supposed to be about. Or maybe we've been left with skepticism as it relates to prayer. Again, does God really care? Is God really listening? And I don't say this with sarcasm. Maybe your prayer life is off the charts, and if that's you, I envy you. Because the reality is I've met those people where I envy. Their, my grandmother wasn't one of them. People in this church do prayer walks and pray for people. That's admirable. I want to be like that. And so maybe the question is, what's next? Now, I'm not going to pretend that I have all the answers to those questions. In fact, there's a spoiler alert as we talk about what prayer is and what it isn't and what happens when God doesn't answer our prayers. The spoiler alert is this, I don't know sometimes. I don't know. There's an element of trust and faith and a reimagining of what prayer is and who God is. But aside from that, I can't pretend that you'll leave here with the answers to all those questions. But I do hope that this morning we can clarify at least three things. What is prayer? Like, what is it? Theologically, what is, what is prayer? Why do we pray? And how do we pray? And we look at the model that Jesus gives us. And as we look at those three elements for a better framework of what prayer is, here's what I hope will happen. We gain a little bit more trust in God. A little bit more trust as we understand what prayer is. For example, if you come in here, and maybe you might not say this out loud, but if you imagine prayer being this magic genie that has all these wishes, and this genie gives you these wishes, if you have that kind of mentality of what prayer is, well, no wonder you're disappointed. 
Well, no wonder you're frustrated. No wonder you're angry. No wonder you're upset because that genie doesn't, doesn't answer every single wish that you ask for. If that's the mentality that you and I have on prayer, then it's no wonder you'd be disappointed. So my hope is that we would reframe what prayer is and really what it isn't. And so not only do we build a little bit more trust when we understand what prayer is, but we become a little bit more gracious. And I don't know about you, but I think for many of us, we need to give God, ironically, a little bit more grace. We need to be a little bit more patient with the way that God works. It's so often that when we ask for something, when we pray about something, it doesn't happen. And immediately, like children, at least I'll speak for myself, God, where were you? Why didn't you move? Why didn't you act? God, didn't you hear my prayer? God, do you even love me? What is going on? And my hope is that by the end of this, we'd be a little bit more gracious towards God as God is eternally gracious to us. And so what is prayer? If I can simply stated in a sentence prayer is this prayer is simply being in communion with god now that doesn't sound very profound but let me unpack why this is when we look at the the what we would call the lord's prayer it starts with our father our father now believe it or not in the first century and really in the ancient context starting a prayer or even viewing god as as father or as a parent this was a radical and oftentimes blasphemous statement. It was a radical idea, especially, again, in this ancient context. So I don't want us to miss that. A father or a parent has, as we know, direct access. I know every family system is different, but for the sake of this imagery, a father has, or a parent has direct access to their child. And vice versa, the child has direct, direct access to their parents, to their father, to their mother, to their caretaker. So it's to say that we are children of God, and as children of God, we have direct access to God. So when Jesus says, pray like this, our Father, and continue to art in heaven, is the Lord's Prayer. When we say our Father, is to understand that we are children of God. And we have direct access to God of the universe, who created everything that you see, who created life, who created the heavens and the earth. That same God, we have direct access to, just like a parent and a child have direct access to one another. That is the God that we follow. That is the God that we worship. And, and for us, we wouldn't think twice about this concept because obviously we have direct access to our parents or our caretaker. But in the ancient context, this was very provocative. You see, throughout ancient history, the deities of most, if not all religions, the deities were either A, very distant, like in a different universe or in a different world looking in, that's not having a very personal relationship with that said deity. Or God, the deity, was so holy that there needed to be a mediator to come in between humanity and God. And you see both of those create this idea of distance and lack of intimacy and connection, and particularly direct access. They were living in a world where, again, either A, God was so far away, like physically far away, and God was looking in, 
or God was so holy that there needed to be a mediator, and so thus there, again, was no intimacy. And, and so when Jesus says, pray this, our Father, Jesus is turning the whole world of God and people's relationship, the economy of that upside down, and saying, you have direct access God is not far away in this faraway universe. God is not unattainable that you need a mediator to even have a conversation with. God is with you. God is here. God is present. In fact, that's the whole idea of why God sent his son Jesus to be on this earth, to be with us. Emmanuel. It's not just a Christmas term. It's a theological term that says, Emmanuel, God is with us right now. And my hope is that that brings you so much hope, particularly as we talk about prayer. When we pray to God, we have direct access to God. God is here. God's spirit is with us. God is not distant. God is not unattainable. God is not too holy for us. God is our Father, our parents, our caretaker, God is our friends. Again, a very radical statement in the first century. I love these verses. There's so many verses pertaining to this, but in 1 John chapter 5, it says, This is the confidence. I hope that we all have confidence in this, that we have in approaching God. This is the confidence we have. That if we ask anything according to God's will, God will hear us. In Jeremiah 29. Then you will call on me, God says, and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. God says, I will listen to you. <clears throat> In Psalms 145, it says, the Lord is near. I love that. Let's not skip that. The Lord is near, not far away, not unattainable. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. And in Matthew chapter 18, it says, for where there are two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Now, again, that doesn't literally mean you have to have two or three. It means that when a community of believers come together, God is in the midst of us, with us, with them. And so what is prayer? Prayer is having direct access, being in communion with God. In other words, you can imagine God wants to sit right next to you as you pray and hear what's going on. Throughout the New Testament, there's this word, pater hemon. It's a Greek word meaning father, but the transliteration of that is an Aramaic word, and the Aramaic word that it transliterates is the word Abba. And Abba is this word like dad, like father, like this intimacy. And God is saying that we can go to God like Abba because God is with us and we have direct access to the God of the universe. And we can be in direct relationship, intimacy, and connection with that God through the Spirit. Now, why do we pray? And I bet many of us, we've asked this question why do we pray? And oftentimes when people ask me this or when we discuss what prayer is all about, there's two extremes that we talk about. And the two extremes are this. And if you've ever asked yourself why we pray, you've probably asked yourself a theological question. 
And the two question is this. Why pray if God already has everything planned out anyways? Or maybe you've thought that. Like, why should I pray? God already knows what God is doing. God's already planned it out. Almost as if God has this blueprint of how things will unfold. So if God has that, then why in the world do I need to waste my time praying if everything is already settled? That's really on one end to this question of why do we pray. The second question is, that, again, does God actually even listen to my prayers? Will God answer my prayers? And what if God doesn't answer my prayers? What does that mean about God? What does that mean about me? Again, if you've asked these questions before, this is, you've asked yourself a very theological question. You've become theologians. Now, without doing an injustice to these particular theological perspectives, I want to touch on it before I move on, and it's this. Sometimes the, the question about why should I pray, things have already unfolded, God already has a plan, we equate that with this theological term, called predestination. It's from our reformers. Uh, God has predestined how things should unfold. Now, I know that there's a lot of nuance. I don't want to say every person who believes in predestination believes in how I'm explaining it. This is much more of an extreme on both camps. Uh, and so one side of the equation on prayer is this idea of predestination. And maybe a better word is predetermined. God has predetermined things to unfold. The other side of predestination, on the other side, is this word, this theological term called open theism, that God has opened the future. God has unsettled what will unfold, and how things will unfold in the future will be determined by how we pray and what we pray for and what we ask for. Again, if you're listening online, if you're here, you've been to seminary, I'm not saying that every person who believes in predestination believes in this or open theism believes in that. This is just an extreme on both ends. And it relates to how we believe in the questions we have about prayer. Why should I pray? Things have already been predestined. Why should I pray? It feels like God's not even listening. Maybe I'm not praying right, or maybe I'm not praying enough. Maybe I'm not praying the right things. Maybe God is listening to, to somebody else's prayer because my prayers are not coming in to fruition. They're both sides of the extreme as it pertains to the questions of prayer, predestination, open theism. And now the question I always, always, that I always get after this is, well, Prentice, what do you think is right? Is it predestination? Is it open theism? Does God have everything already unfolded and, and, and planned out and there's a blueprint on life on how things unfolded? Or does everything depend on, on what people pray and how people behave and how people work? And oftentimes my answer is yes. My answer is simply yes. Similar to being a parent and a child, the way that God describes our relationship with God. And maybe if you're a parent, you've experienced this. Maybe as a child, we've experienced this. Sometimes my parents growing up would say the, the reply, if I ask a question, why does it have to be this way? Mom, Dad, why, do you, why are you doing it this way? Why do we have to do this? Maybe this isn't good parenting now, but again, my parents broke all the rules growing up. Uh, my parents' response was, was, 
because I said so. And, or because I'm, I'm dad, because I'm your mom. Because I said so, that's the way we're going to do it. And sometimes like a parent uh, in a child's relationship, that's like our relationship with God. Sometimes God is going to say, whether you like it or not, hey, you know what? This is the way we're going to do it. You know why? Because I'm God, and you're not. And I know best, and you don't. And, of course, it's a much more in a loving way, in an honoring way, because God honors and loves God's own creation. But sometimes that's the way prayer and that's the way God works. God says, you know what, I'm going to answer that prayer or I'm going to move in this way because I am God and you are not. And sometimes like a parent in a child relationship, there's room for for negotiation. There's room for conversation. And sometimes, and we see this throughout scripture as well, that there is a dialogue between God and God's people about what the outcome might be. Last night, um, my wife and I, Maria, who is not here, and, and this is why, we, we were, were babysitting slash having a slumber party with our two-and-a-half-year-old niece. And, and uh, she had a bedtime that was given to us. It was around 7 o'clock. I'll tell you right now, she didn't go to bed at 7 o'clock. And uh, we were negotiating, and I was saying, you know what? Okay, we have to go to bed. I have to put you to sleep, you know, in, into bed. And she said, after, after one book. So, okay, that's fair. One, one book. It's a tiny little book, about five pages. We laid with her in bed, and I read her the book. And I said, okay, bedtime, one book. And then she said, wait a second book. Uh, but, but Queen, we, we already read a, a book. And, and she said, no, but I want to read another book. She's so cute. Right? So, like, I can't say no. Okay, we're negotiating here. Now, okay, I'll read a second book to you. And then after that, it's really, it's bedtime. Okay. You know, five, six, seven pages. I read the book. And she goes, okay, it's bedtime. And she goes, no, I want to do a puzzle. She wanted to do a puzzle. And again, I look at her and I said, you know what? Okay, we're going to do a puzzle. And so we did a puzzle, and Maria finally said, you know what, you can't just do whatever she wants. We can't just negotiate her own bedtime. You have to be the parent or uh, the, the, the person in charge. And so Maria stepped in and, and helped her to fall back asleep. And uh, by the time it was 11 p.m., she was sound, sound asleep. <laughs> Sorry, Mom and Dad. But she's so cute. How can you say no? She can do no wrong. And sometimes our relationship with God is similar. Sometimes God steps in and says, I'm going to answer that prayer because I'm God and I want to. You know what? Sometimes I'm not going to answer that God, you know why, or that prayer. Because you know why? Because I'm God and you're not. And sometimes God is saying, yeah, I'm going to answer that prayer. God, God says, I'm going to honor that. How does God choose? I don't know. That's where I can step in and say confidently, I don't know how God works in that sense. But God is God and we are not. So number one, God does work in mysterious ways, but God works in powerful and sovereign ways. And we have to understand that God is in control. And oftentimes we won't understand the way that God answers prayers or the way that God doesn't answer prayers. But secondly, that God gives us agency and free will. God loves creation so much that God allows us to participate 
on how some things will unfold. Our prayers matter. Our prayers are heard. You don't have to worry if you did it right or said it right. God hears us. And I love what Dallas Willard, one philosopher uh, and theologian, says about prayer. Dallas Willard says this, God's response to our prayers is not a charade. God does not pretend that he is answering our prayer when he is only doing what he was going to do anyways. Our requests really do make a difference in what God does or God does not do. God gives us agency to, to co-create with God in this world. So why do we pray? Because a loving and powerful God wants to be in direct relationship with us in order to change us and to change the world. How does that unfold? I don't actually know. It's mysterious. Because God is God and I am not. And really what I want to end with is how do we pray? What does this practice of prayer look like? And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13, what we just read gives us an idea of how we should pray. Again, our Father in heaven. In other words, pray to the God in heaven through the Spirit that becomes the catalyst to our relationship with God and Jesus. As we talked about the triune God last week. Pray in the Spirit. In Romans 8.26, it says this, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. As we come to God in prayer, Maybe sometimes our first prayer is this, God, I don't even know what to pray for. God, will your spirit just reveal to me the things I need to pray for, the people I need to pray about, the people I need to pray for. God, would you send your spirit and convict me of what I need to even confess even myself. God, may your spirit come and help me pray. And so maybe for some of us, the first step is just that, spirit, come and help me pray. Spirit, give me words to pray. God, Spirit, help me to feel what I need to feel. And maybe words don't do enough justice to articulate what I need to pray. And sometimes it's just groaning. But may the Spirit help us pray. And then it says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed, God, you are so holy. God, you are God and I am not. It's this posture of gratitude in adoration. How many times do we pray and it's just ask, God, give me this, give me that, like a magic genie. I know I do. God, help me with this. Help me uh, do that. God, help the 49ers lose. Why didn't the 49ers lose yesterday? God didn't answer that prayer. And sometimes it's just ask, ask, ask. Give me, give me, give me. How many times do we sit in a posture of prayer saying, God in heaven, the creator of this universe who I have direct access to, God, thank you. God, you are just, um, you're incredible. Adoration, hallowed be your name. God, thank you for just listening to me. God, thank you that I was able to get to point A and point B and back to B to point A in this vehicle. God, thank you for my job. Thank you for my family. God, thank you for this air that I breathe. And I, and I say this, and I say this often, is that if God did nothing for me starting today, there would still be enough for me to be thankful for till the day I die. God, thank you. 
in the prayer to examine, we looked about being specific for that particular day. What if we take upon that practice, our daily examine, we examine every single day of what we should be grateful for and how we should adore God. God, thank you for that delicious meal that I just ate. God, thank you for that conversation that I had. God, thank you for that friend of mine. God, thank you for family. God, thank you. Hallowed be your name. And then Jesus says, continue praying like this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. It's this idea of, of petition. In Philippians chapter 4, it says that, Come to God. You can go to God. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. It's okay to petition. Now, I know I kept on saying, like, oh, all we do is ask God and ask God. I'm not saying asking God and petitioning to God is wrong. In fact, we should. But my hope is that our prayer life isn't just asking. It includes adoring. It includes acknowledging that God is actually answering prayers. It includes knowing that God is holy. Hallowed be your name. God, thank you that I have direct access to you, God of the universe. And I know that you have the power to answer these prayers. God, would you hear my prayers? And we petition physical needs, spiritual needs, emotional needs, whatever needs that we have, we ask God freely and God listens and it's okay. And we pray with confidence. And then it says, and forgive us our debts. God, forgive me of the ways that I have failed. This is a moment of lament and confession. How many times do we confess? of the ways that we fail, that we've hurt one another, that we've hurt God. King David in the Old Testament, Psalms chapter 51, says, Have mercy on me, O Lord, according to your unfailing love, according to your greatest compassion. Blot out my confessions. Wash away all my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. <clears throat> That's David lamenting and confessing his sin after what he did with Bathsheba. We talked about that a few weeks ago. And he says, God, I cry out to you. I don't, I, I, God, God, I thank you. I don't just ask you for things, but God, I ask you for forgiveness. And I acknowledge and I name my sin and my hurt and my pain. During one of the boycotts, the bus boycott, Martin Luther King Jr. in one of his sermons, he says, you know what, sometimes I feel discouraged. And he says, at one point I prayed this prayer. He said this in his sermon. He said, I prayed this out of my own discouragement, out of my own lament. <clears throat> he prayed, Lord... I'm down here trying to do what's right. Now I'm afraid because he's getting death threats about uh, the movement that he's, uh, that he's leading around the boycotts. And so out of these death threats and people, you know, hurling insults at him, he says, now I'm afraid. And I can't let people see me like this because if they see me weak and losing my courage, they will begin to get weak. I'm at the end of my powers. I have nothing left. I've come to the point where I can't face it alone. He says, God, I need you. Does this prayer sound familiar to you? Maybe we haven't experienced everything that Dr. King has experienced, but we experience that kind of lament. 
My hope is that in our prayer lives, not only do we know that we're praying to God through the Spirit, uh, that there's this element of gratitude and adoration, that there's a moment of petition, God, I need this. But there's also a moment of honesty. God, I can't handle this right now. God, I'm in so much pain. God, I'm so angry. I'm so frustrated. My hope is that as a father and as a friend, like we do with our other friends, that there's, there's genuine conversation going on in our prayers. And then he says, God, as you have forgiven me, God, may you forgive those who have trespassed or who have debts against you. We call this, in spiritual language, the prayer of intercession. We pray for others. <clears throat> we pray for injustices. <clears throat> we pray on for the sake uh, of the pain and the hurt and the illnesses of others. And we see this all throughout the scriptures. And I love how Walter Wink phrased the prayer of inter uh, uh, intercessory prayer. He says, <clears throat> intercessory prayer is is spiritual defiance of what is in the way of what God has promised. <clears throat> Intercession visualizes an alternative future to the one apparently fated by the momentum of current forces. Prayer infuses the air of a time yet to be in suffocating atmosphere of the present. I'll stop there, but I love the beginning part. Intercessory prayer is a spiritual defiance of what is in the way of what God wants to do. And so may we pray for others that we may intervene on the evil that's happening, on the pain that's happening, on the loneliness that's happening, on the anxiety that's happening, on the illness of happening, of others. And may we bring the Spirit of God to intervene and do something. And so I'm going to end there as I invite the worship team back up as we enter into our own moment of prayer. And my hope is that coming to church isn't the only time that we pray. That our daily life, when Paul says pray without ceasing, it doesn't mean we're on our knees and we're praying, you know, every minute of the day, but it just means that we're having this constant conversation with God. That is prayer. And so as we enter this moment of reflection and worship and prayer, may we start with one of these. Do we need to pray just acknowledging and adoring God's holiness? God, hallowed be your name. We thank you, God, for who you are and what you've done. Maybe the prayer is petition, God. I need this. God bless. God have favor. And I'm not saying that God's going to answer every one of your prayers, because God's not. And I've heard this before. That's so helpful to me. Sometimes the way that God answers your prayers is by not answering it at all. Because sometimes we just ask for the wrong thing. So we say, God... Send me your spirit. May I pray in the spirit that I may be praying in truth and in your will. Maybe our prayer is on behalf of somebody else. God, right now, would you just press upon somebody's name 
in our lives that need to be prayed for. God, as we pray as a community, I just ask you to bring about names that we should be praying for individually right now. God, bring us names. May God bring you a name right now to be praying for. Or maybe it's for yourself, your own confession. God, help us to be a people of prayer, that we believe in the power of prayer. We may not understand all of prayer, but we know that it's powerful and that you move, and we thank you for that. In your name we pray, amen.